Those who gave up their Saturday morning to serve and love others in a different neighborhood. We will have more opportunities for you to make an impact just like this. Keep an eye out on MPTV or on MPCC.info. for this week's Spotlight. Remember, you can find all these opportunities and more on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or at npcc.info. Welcome to Easter 2017 at Mount Pleasant Christian Church. I'm Fred Meadows, the Connections Pastor here, and I want to welcome you to really the high point of the Christian year, the day we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just a few hours ago, we journeyed with Christ through the agonizing hours of his betrayal, his death, and his burial. And today, we say, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? We give thanks to God for Christ's victory over sin and death. And together we say, he is alive. We want to welcome all of you here this weekend, especially those who are with us as our guests. Perhaps you are here for the very first time welcome. Please let us know that you are here by filling out the connection card in the bulletin and dropping it in the offering bags a little later on in the service. Or bring it by guest connections to receive more information and a very special gift. We want to be able to share with you some awesome events coming up that will be great for your families and for your spiritual lives. So thanks for being here. We hope this day will be not only a day of celebration, but a day that you can experience God in a deeper way realizing what it means to find freedom in Him and to experience all that this Easter means for us. Let's now join with the band as they lead us in Easter worship. bled and died for me I see his wounds his hands his feet my savior on that cursed tree his body bound and drenched in tears they laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone. Messiah stood in all alone. Oh, praise the name of the Trample dead 
glad to welcome you here today. I want to invite you to stand. I want to welcome all those joining us online as well. We're so glad to have you here for an Easter celebration. Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord is risen today.
Yours is the glory. Yours is. 
people say it. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Let me tell you now a story. It is mine and all I know. I could tell you now the details, but it's better when it's shown. This is where they laid me for a long while I lay dead. It's a tomb just like my Savior's, and a stone that was just like his when it went rolling, rolling. So if you want some freedom for your aching lifeless bones, you can take his brand new life and he will take your stone and send it
I guess our story begins mid-summer of 1999. Uh, Don and I, on a Friday evening, were coming home from dinner and pulled in the corner of our subdivision, turned, turned the corner and saw a state policeman parked in our driveway. Our son, Brian, had been killed in an automobile accident. So in those first moments, we didn't necessarily think about obstacles. We just thought about how we're going to survive. We didn't do the things that we normally would do on a Saturday morning. We didn't uh, consider where we were going to have family breakfast. Instead, we found ourselves in a funeral home visiting our son and just being with him, with him and holding his hand. And later in the day, we didn't go about our chores and go about the things we typically would on a Saturday. We uh, went to Greenwood Cemetery and picked out a, a burial plot. When we look back, we could see God's hand helping us, uh, sending us the family of God to surround us, our church family, our uh, our David's siblings and and uh, just God surrounding us with people that were carrying the burden, providing food, providing company, trying to find out anything that we needed from anyone. Another obstacle, um, and that's the obstacle of living with the guilt of surviving your child. It's a battle that wears you out physically, mentally, Emotionally, spiritually, I feel utterly useless, unprepared totally to help my wife, to help my daughter Kelly, to, to be anything to anybody other than almost a nuisance. I had to send our daughter back to school in her senior year without her brother. Very hard. At that point, we had been married 27 years. So we could review what God had done time after time after time. And in the midst of that review, we would find that some of the darkness would be driven back. We would find that it's hard for darkness, spiritual darkness, to prevail in the light of God's faithfulness. We believe that uh, the ability to overcome that we've experienced in our lives has come by fully trusting Jesus. Uh, not trusting in our own strengths, our own abilities, because in these moments, you, you feel hopeless and you feel helpless. Trusting Him uh, on a level that you've never trusted Him because uh, we've we found no better way uh, other than to fully trust Him through these last almost 18 years.
Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to greet all of you today. I want to greet those of you who are joining us online, wherever you might be. It's so uh, wonderful to have you with us. And I also want to give a special shout out to all you folks in the overflow space this morning. Sorry, we ran out of room in here. Not sorry, but sorry. Uh, we ran out of room in here. And so those folks who are joining us in the chapel and the commons area, we're just glad to greet you. And I want to give a special welcome to anybody who's a guest with us this morning. It's always a great, great privilege for us to welcome guests into our services. And if you are a guest, my name is Chris Philbeck, and I'm the senior pastor here. Some time ago, <clears throat> I ran across uh, something in my reading that I thought was kind of interesting. It was an organization called StoryCorps. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before, but StoryCorps is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to celebrate the lives of everyday Americans by inviting them simply to tell their stories. It's really a pretty simple concept. The StoryCorps booth travels across the country from city to city, and people are invited to bring one person with them whose story they want told, and the two of them sit in a sound booth for 40 minutes and talk. And when they're done, they get a CD with their story on it, and another copy is sent to be archived at the Library of Congress. You can actually hear these stories every week on NPR, National Public Radio. It's a simple but a powerful concept because everybody has a story. And having the opportunity to tell your story makes you feel valued. So let me ask you a question. Having said that, let me ask you a question this morning. If the StoryCorps trailer were to pull into the parking lot today on your way out of the service and you had a chance to sit in the booth, what story would you tell? What's your story? That's an appropriate question, I think, to ask, especially in church, because when we come to church, we come to church to open up and read and study the Bible, and I think you can make the case that the Bible is a book of stories, really, honestly. I love the way that Andrew kind of illustrated that last week in his message. He summarized the Bible like this. If you were here, you remember. He said, you know, the first couple of chapters of the Bible are the story of God having a perfect relationship with man. Not the entire two chapters, but once God created the world and He put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the story is that they enjoyed a perfect relationship with God. They lived in perfect fellowship with God. They walked and talked with God. They lived in a community of unity together. And everything was really good. But then you get to Genesis chapter 3, sadly, not very far into the story, and you find Adam and Eve disobeying God. And when they disobeyed God, sin entered into the world. And when sin entered into the world, it severed that perfect relationship that they had with God. God still loved them, cared about them, provided for them, but the relationship had changed. They had been separated from God. I hope you know that's what sin does. It separates. That's what it does. And so then from Genesis chapter 4, the next chapter, all the way to the end of the Bible, all the way through Revelation chapter 22, the Bible really in essence is a book of stories related to how God's trying to rebuild his relationship with man. The Bible is a book of stories. Back in March of 2012, Right after Tim Tebow, who we all know is a very committed and outspoken Christian, after Tim Tebow was traded from the Denver Broncos to the New York Jets, an article was written in the New York Times by a man named Ross Duthat that was called Tebow in Babylon. He was likening New York City to the ancient pagan land of Babylon. 
And at one point in the article, he was trying to explain why Tebow's time in the NFL had been so captivating to so many people, and this is what he wrote. Tebow's religion doesn't just promise a path to personal transformation. It claims that every human life is actually a story with an author, capital A, with an author, and that a genuinely Christian life should make that divine authorship manifest. Now, I don't know anything about this reporter. I don't know if he's a man of faith on any level, and I don't even know if he realized it or not, but what he did in that article was, was confirm what the Bible tells us over and over again in a variety of different ways. Every person has a story. Every story matters because in a very real way, God's story of love is being told one life at a time through history. My life, your life, the life of the person sitting next to you, behind you, the life of the people that were here at 8.30, the life of the people that will be here at 11.30 later and on and on, and on. And the common thread in all of our stories is that God, because His love for us is so deep, gives us the power to overcome, which is so important to understand. Contemporary writer Donald Miller once said that in order to have a story, you have to have a character who wants something and has to overcome conflict to get it. Now, if we had the time this morning, we could talk about several examples of that truth, but I want to keep our focus right here by, again, just repeating the original question, what's your story? What is it that you want? What's keeping you from getting it? I'm sure that there are as many answers to those questions here as there are people listening to me. But let's be honest. At the end of the day, don't all of us just want a good life? And by good life, what I mean is, don't all of us just want a safe life? Don't all of us just want a happy life? Don't all of us just want a satisfying and a fulfilling and a purposeful life? Isn't that what we all long for? We might describe it in a lot of different terms, but isn't that what we all long for? So what is it that's keeping us from getting it? What, what has to be overcome? What conflict has to be overcome to experience that kind of life? Again, we could give a lot of different answers, but I'm going to cut to the chase, and I'm going to answer that question for you, and I'm going to answer it from a biblical perspective. There are two things that we have to overcome to get that life, and those two things are sin and death. Sin and death. Sin because it's our human tendency to mess things up. How many of you know that's true? It's our human tendency to mess things up, and we do it in a lot of different ways. We do it by thinking of, our, of ourselves first rather than thinking of others. We do it by holding a grudge instead of forgiving. We do it by settling for lust in relationships rather than intimacy. We do it by losing our temper instead of practicing self-control. We, we do it by breaking promises rather than being faithful, and you can go on and on and on. But the effect of sin and its danger on our lives isn't just about the mistakes we make. How many of you know that sometimes you can do everything right? You can do absolutely everything right, and you still can be a victim of sin just simply because we live in a sinful, fallen world, and you can be victimized by someone else's actions. That's just the reality of life. And the Bible tells us that as long as we live in this world, sin is going to be on the loose. It's going to be on the loose in the human heart, and it's going to be in, on the loose in the world around us. The other thing that keeps us from that good life is death. And I say that because no matter how good our life might be, because there are times, if we're honest, that there are times and seasons of life when life is good, but no matter how good our life is, we're haunted by the fact that it could end at any time, and it will end for all of us at some time. 
So that's our storyline. We want a good life. We want a long life. We want a satisfying life. We want a fulfilling life. We want a life of purpose, a meaningful life, a happy life. But because of sin and death, it's, we're always struggling to achieve it. And there's not a single thing that you and I can do on our own about sin and death. We're absolutely helpless and hopeless to solve that problem on our own. I read a story not long ago. It was an illustration a preacher was using. He told it about a time he took his family, had several young children, he took his family to one of those fancy themed family restaurants where all around them on the walls were giant television screens playing something all the time without any sound. And he said that, you know, he and his wife and their children were all kind of just enjoying the experience and talking and laughing together except for his youngest son who was around three or four at the time. He sat there transfixed with his eyes glued to a television screen that ran a continuous loop of Wiley, Coyote, and Roadrunner cartoons. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Me, me. He didn't take his eyes off of it. He watched as uh, Wiley Coyote strapped rocket-propelled roller skates on to try to catch the roadrunner, how he attached a rocket to his back, how he put himself in a giant slingshot, did everything he could to try to catch that elusive roadrunner. And then suddenly this little boy, three or four years old, had kind of an epiphany. And so he announced to the rest of his table, without ever taking his eyes off the screen, he announced to the rest of the table, no matter what that chicken, or no matter what that guy does, he's never going to catch that chicken. Isn't that the human storyline? I mean, no matter what we do, how hard we try on our own, we can't overcome sin and death, those things that stand between us and the life we want. And that's really been the storyline of every human life since Adam and Eve all the way back in Genesis. No matter what we do, we're never going to get that chicken. And so what we need is, is a new dynamic to our story. We need a new element to our story, and that's where we meet Jesus, who has an incredible story. He was conceived out of wedlock and born to a peasant couple on the road a long way from home. He spent the very first night of his life sleeping in a manger on a bed of straw or hay. He grew up in a backwater town. He spent the first years of his life in complete obscurity working a blue-collar job, but sometime around the age of 30, everything began to change, and he broke onto the scene as a teacher. But not just any teacher began to make a name for himself because he delivered these stirring and these powerful and these authoritative messages he taught like no one had ever taught before. And he talked about the promise of a coming kingdom, which is to say he talked about the promise of a new kind of life. He spoke like no other teacher before. He, 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 he spoke directly to the, to the longing and the yearning of the human hearts that were listening to him. He talked about God like he knew him personally and he lived his life like he was on a mission. But it wasn't just about words with him. He performed supernatural acts that backed up and supported everything that he said. He did things no one had ever seen before. And so all of a sudden, as a result of his effort, uh, the blind see and the deaf hear and the lame walk and the hungry are fed and the demon possessed are set free. And he even raises people from the dead. 
gathers a small band of disciples who follow him everywhere he goes. And I'm not exaggerating this when I say it. I'm not embellishing it in any way. There were times in his ministry when literally, literally thousands upon thousands of people came to where he was to listen to what he had to say or to see what he was going to do next. Then in the third year of his ministry, he leaves the land that he's most familiar with, the land of Galilee, travels to the city of Jerusalem, and he arrives there during what's called the Passover. If you don't know what that is, he just arrived there during the holiest days of the year. And as he enters the city, there was a great crowd, just like everywhere else that he went, there was a great crowd to greet him, and they greeted him like a king. In fact, they hailed him as their coming king. But just as quickly as they received him like that, everything changed because instead of leading some kind of a national revolt, revolt for the Jews where they would no longer be under the thumb of the Romans, Jesus kind of turned inward and he began to talk about his own suffering and he began to talk about his death and he talked about going away and just like that, the crowd seemed to lose interest. One of his disciples betrayed him. By the end of the week, he was placed under arrest and his remaining disciples vanished into the darkness of night out of fear of their lives or for their lives. He's sentenced to death by lying priests and a cowardly politician and after a public beating that is more horrific than words can even describe. He's marched out of the city and nailed to a cross. And on that cross, his story ends just like every story ever ended before him. It ended in death. A couple of acquaintances take his body down from the cross. They wrap it for burial and it's laid in a borrowed tomb. He lived a remarkable life, but it was a short-lived life. All that happened on Friday. Then on Sunday morning, some brave and loyal women go to his grave because they want to care for his body and they want to pay their last respects, but they find the tomb. Surprisingly, they find the tomb open and they find the body gone, and an angel appears to them and says, don't worry, Jesus is alive and he's on the move. And so they learn that morning what we know today, that his story isn't over after all, and now over 2,000 years later, the story is still being written and it's still being told. So let's ask the question about Jesus that we would ask of ourselves. What did Jesus want? Remember, Donald Miller said that in order to have a story, you have to have a character who wants something and has to overcome some kind of conflict to get it. What did Jesus want? Well, he wanted a lot of different things we don't have time to talk about. And so I'll tell you that mostly, more than anything else, Jesus wanted you to have the kind of life that you always long for. He wants all of us to have the life that we long for. He even described it along the way during his life. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, he described it like this. He said, I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. If you're older like I am, you remember that verse like this. I have come that they might have life and have it more, what? say it with me, abundantly. But before that can happen, Jesus has to overcome two things. Same two things we already talked about. He has to overcome sin and he has to overcome death, and that's what he did. First, he overcame sin because the Bible says that when he hung suspended between heaven and earth on the cross, that he took our sin on his body, and he paid the penalty for our sin. He satisfied God's need for justice with regard to sin. That's why Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 these words. He's talking about Jesus. He said, but God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Then he had to overcome death. 
And he did that as well. His lifeless body was laid in a tomb on Friday, but on Sunday he walked out of the tomb and opened the door to eternal life. And so that same apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, these words, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And about 15, this, this was all written about 15 years after Paul had had the opportunity to be an eyewitness to the impact of Jesus' death and resurrection. And so a little bit later in that same 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, now in verses 55, 56, and 57, he writes these words which remind us that Jesus has taken care of sin and death. He says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you one more time. What's your story? What is it that you want and what kind of conflict is it that you have to overcome to get it, to experience it? Well, the story of Easter really reminds us that God knows the answer to both of those questions for all of us. And He's provided through His Son, through Jesus' death and His burial and His resurrection, the ability to overcome and experience the life, overcome whatever it is that stands in the way of you, the life that you want and experience that life because Jesus caught what all of us are chasing. And now what we need to do is we need to be willing to give him our lives. I want you to pray with me. Father, thank you for just a few minutes this morning to talk about these things. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he came and that he lived such a remarkable life. Thank you that he, he died for us on the cross, that he paid the penalty for our sin, and thank you that he conquered death by overcoming the grave on that Sunday morning on that third day. And I pray, Father, that all of us would be honest in our hearts this morning and realize that no matter how good our life might be in the moment, it's not ever going to be on our own the life that we've always longed for, but it can be when we surrender in faith and trust to Jesus. I pray that in his name. Amen. I came to Mount Pleasant about six years ago. I was 34 years old, and I was so lost. Um, I had no relationship with God. Um, I had grown up with religion, but not a personal relationship with God. Um, I was in a very unhealthy marriage. Um, I was very angry, um, hurting from my past. I was a victim of childhood sexual abuse and I had never received any help or healing um, from that experience. So I was carrying resentment, remorse, uh, guilt because I was the oldest, the oldest child and I just felt kind of responsible for not protecting my younger siblings. Um, but I signed up for a Journey Begins group about six years ago, and um, we dug deep into our past and uh, really looked at uh, ways that Jesus could help us and, and we could overcome this and kind of let go, let God. Um, it was a nine or 12 week course, and it, it was just truly amazing. Um, I met Mary Kay and Ken Jones. Uh, they led that group. And um, people in that group I bonded with. Um, I 
actually felt what love was. And uh, these people didn't want anything from me. They just wanted to love on me. And that was uh, amazing. You know, 34 years old for the first time uh, receiving love. Uh, it was pretty awesome. Jesus has just put so many events and programs and groups and community before me that it has just uh, completely changed my life. Um, looking back now, six years later, um, I am a completely different person. I'm bold, courageous. Um, I am now one of the leaders in the Soul Care Group, and um, my mission in life is to help people that have been sexually abused or any kind of abuse, um, any kind of burden or uh, just anything you're carrying. Um, you know, God can God can heal us. There's a better life, there's a better life, if you've got pain, here's a pain taker, if you feel lost, he's a way maker, if you need freedom, saving, he's a prison shaking savior, if you've got chains, he's a chain breaker. search for the light of day in the dead of night we've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fight we've all run to things we know just ain't right when there's a better life oh there's a better life if you've got pain here's a pain Savior, if you've got change. 
Listen, we're going to have a time of communion together as a part of our Easter worship today, and it's a communion that's open to everyone who is a Christian, not just those who are part of our church family, but if you have a relationship with Christ, we invite you to partake in just a few minutes after I pray. We're going to have some trays passed down each row, and we invite every believer to take a piece of bread and a cup of juice, and, and as you partake to remember, the most significant thing we read in the scriptures about communion comes from Jesus. He said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. We remember his body broken and his blood shed on the cross. We're not having a normal response time in this service like we do each weekend, but I want to share with you that if you feel the Lord speaking to your heart, you feel a level of conviction or, 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 uh, or, or, or just concern in your heart related to where you are today with regard to your spiritual life, or you've got a burden or a need or a concern about your life or somebody else that you'd like to have somebody pray about, pray with you, pray for you. We're going to, when the service ends, we're going to have some prayer and decision counselors down front, and you can just approach them. They would love nothing more than just to pray for you, pray with you, minister to you, love on you for just a few minutes, whatever your need. But first, we're going to receive this time of communion. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much again for Jesus who died as a perfect sacrifice for our sin on the cross, who gave his life, whose body was broken, whose blood was shed. Thank you that he did it so that he could overcome the things that we can't overcome on our own. And those things are sin and death. And thank you that when we put our faith and trust in him, we can live a new and a full and an abundant life. Bless this time of communion now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
I love that song, you know, at the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in all of you. And isn't that the truth? And we celebrate that today in this Easter resurrection service. Uh, at that cross so many years ago, Christ gave his, or the Lord gave Christ as an offering for our sin. And now is our opportunity to give our offerings back to the Lord and partner with him in ministry. Uh, but before we collect the offering, and before we have this, the chance to celebrate to give, I want to read this week's Change for a Dollar stories with you. There's actually two families. Um, first of all, Penny and Brian Akers have seven kids. And as you can imagine, with seven kids, their house is full of life and love and energies and all those kind of things. But it's also been filled with difficulties and trials. One of those recent trials is with their 19-year-old daughter, Marissa. Now, Marissa was diagnosed in December of 2016 with lymphoma, and she's halfway through her 12 scheduled chemo treatments. But just last week, she was in a car accident, and her car was totaled. And so this, this week, to our change for the dollar, our change for dollar funds will go to help with the car repairs and will go to help with her chemo and medical expenses. Second of all, we're going to support the Thompson family. And on March 17th, Paul Thompson passed away due to complications from cancer. His wife, Cheryl, and their two daughters, Lucy and Kara, were by his side when, they, when, she, when he passed. Paul was very brave and strong in his faith throughout his battle, so much so that people grew stronger in, th in their faith just by watching his as he went through this difficult time. Our Change for a Dollar funds this week will help the Thompsons with their medical bills, funeral costs, and some general living expenses as they deal with the loss of a husband and a father. I'll tell you, I'm a, I love Change for a Dollar, and what an opportunity that we have to be generous to the Lord and be generous in our community. Why don't we pray for our offering, and we'll pray for the Acre and the Thompson family, and then we will celebrate the chance we have to give and to partner with the Lord in ministry. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for the opportunity right now to give of our tithes and our offerings and to give them to you and you take them and multiply them and you use them to do incredible things in Greenwood and around the world. Lord, I pray that as we give and as we, as we partner with you in ministry, that this would be a very tangible way that we can affect your kingdom, that we can help your ministry and your message be spread to the uttermost parts of the world. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to give. Thank you for the opportunity to pray for the acre the Akers family, and for the Thompson family, and the chance to support them and to love on them and to pray for them and hold them up to you as they go through these difficult roads. Father, no one should have to walk difficult roads alone. And I'm so grateful for a church in Greenwood, Indiana, that is walking difficult roads with so many families through the Change for a Dollar initiative. Father, I pray that we honor you with how we spend our money and how we partner with you in ministry. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's celebrate the chance to give.
heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested and my life began. I'm a prisoner no more My shame was a ransom He faithfully bore He canceled my debt And he called me his friend oh, When death was arrested My life Rejoiced as though heaven had lost. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hell. That's when death was arrested. Oh
I'll tell you, it has, it has been a great Easter celebration here at Mount Pleasant. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, but before we leave, there is one thing I do want to call your attention to, and it's our annual yearly Change the World campaign. Now, you know this, this year, coming up here on Saturday, we're making 400,000 meals. We're going to put them in a shipping container, and we're going to send them to our mission partner in Cuba. It's going to be amazing. But we need your help. In fact, as you can see on the screen here, we still need 263 people to sign up today, right now, 263 people to sign up to help in the first shift, 186 in the 1030 shift, and 345 in the afternoon shift. Now, there is absolutely no reason I need to make this announcement in the next service. No reason. So following service, go to the comments. There's computers out there. You can sign up. You can sign up on your smartphone by logging onto our website. But let's not have to make this announcement again. So... I want, to, I want to ask you to partner with us in this effort. It's going to be amazing. If you're a guest, welcome to service today. It was our joy to have you here. We really enjoyed having you part of this special Easter service. If you could, following service, if you're a guest, head out these doors and go to the guest connection room. Pastor Chris will be there. He would love to meet you, get to know your name, give you a special gift, and welcome you a little bit more personally to our church. Like Pastor Chris said, if you have a decision that you need to make about Jesus or you want to know more about him or have one of our staff or volunteers pray for you, will you please come forward after the service? I'm going to stand right over here. I would love to pray with you, introduce you to Jesus, or get you plugged into our church in any way that we can. It would be a joy to do so. Let's pray together, and then we'll be dismissed, um, and it's, going to be, it's just going to be another great day. I, I just know. It's Easter, right? So it's going to be a great day. It's got to be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this day and the opportunity right now that we have to, to leave this place encouraged, empowered, and equipped with the message of Jesus, to encounter a world that needs to know you, and, and, and we, have, we have his message, we have his story. So Lord, as we leave here, give us opportunity to share that story with someone who needs to hear it maybe around the dinner table today or maybe tomorrow at work or wherever it may be. Father, we look for opportunities to share the saving story of Jesus and we look to you for opportunities to do just that. But Lord, now as we leave, I pray that we are safe when we drive home and we spend the rest of the day just remembering the whole reason we came to church to celebrate today and that is the resurrection of Jesus, the single part of history that changed everything for everyone. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him to this earth. And thank you for Mount Pleasant Church. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great Easter Sunday.